You're listening to the Autism Weekly Podcast. Each week, we share community voices and bring light to stories that increase awareness, acceptance, equity, access, and inclusion. If you haven't already, subscribe to join the Autism Weekly family. I'm your host, Jeff Skabitsky. This week, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Amanda Settle, a pediatric dentist based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, to the podcast to talk with us about how to make the first dental visit a great experience for kiddos on the spectrum. We will also cover dental hygiene tips to take home and implement day to day. Dr. Amanda understands that all pediatric patients have different needs and learn in different ways. She believes that although the child is the patient, the entire family is important to the overall treatment, growth, and success. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me today. So I, it's it's absolutely our pleasure. And and one of the things that I love to be able to do is, is get to know who we're talking to first. And with this specialty, doing pediatric dentist, dentistry, is that it often takes a passion. It takes somebody who's saying, you know, this is where I fit in. I love this population. So how long have you been working with kids? How did you get there initially? So I graduated dental school in 2018. And then right from there, I went to my residency for pediatrics um, at St. Christopher's in Philly. Um, it's funny because people are always like, why peds? Why peds? Um, and I really didn't even know that pediatrics was a specialty until dental school. We had just always gone to our family general dentist. Um, and then once I learned about it, I just knew this was for me. I love working with kids. Um, they're funny. You can joke around with them. They're sweet most of the time, um, but they're also really resilient. Um, you'll work with them and you might have a tough appointment where, you know, things just aren't going great. Um, they're getting fussy, but if you can just kind of work with them and get them through it, it's really rewarding to get to the end um, and know that you accomplish what the parent and the patient came in to do. Um, so it's just all around a really great field. And yeah, I've just felt really happy with what I've been doing so far. Well, I, I know firsthand because my daughters have both used pediatric dentistry mm -hmm. is that a lot of what good technicians mm -hmm. and dentists do is that they utilize a lot of the same technologies that you'd use in, in behavioral treatment <laughs> is that you're trying to find motivation. You're trying to be able to engage that child. So when you have, and I guess I'll talk about any child coming in. When you have somebody coming in for that first visit and they are tentative or scared or don't know who they're going to be talking to or what you're going to be doing inside their mouth while they're laying on the table, how do you prep them and put them at ease? Because that's a stressful situation. So I think a lot of it, I kind of start with the parent first. Um, because as much as kids, um, you know, you don't think that they're picking up on things, they are. So if the parent's nervous, if the parent's stressed out, the kid immediately is going to be nervous and stressed out and we just have a recipe for disaster. So I like to prep parents as much as possible and just say, hey, talk about this really positively. Um, try not to give too much information because sometimes they have these kids watching YouTube videos and things are just going totally to the left and we want to keep them, you know, streamlined. So I just tell them a lot of times to really talk it up, make it sound positive, bring them in and let us do what we do best. 
Um, we show the kids a lot of the instruments that we're going to be using. Um, we can maybe put the toothbrush on their hand first, show them the mirror, um, show them how the chair goes back before we have them sit in the chair. Um, so all of those things are really important in making the kids feel comfortable. As far as, you know, kind of going off the path with that, um, with kids on the spectrum specifically, there's a lot more that I like to do um, before the appointment um, to make it the best appointment for everybody. And a lot of that really involves the parent, um, one, contacting us and engaging with us as the team, kind of letting us know, um, does the child have taste diversions? Does the child get scared of loud noises? Do they not like bright lights? Um, do they not like sudden movements? Because all of those things are going to affect how we're going to treat the child. And then there's some things as well that parents can do at home to kind of prep their child. They can show them um, like visual pictures of you're going to sit in the chair. The next picture can be you're going to open your mouth. The next picture can be you're going to put your feet out straight. Um, all of those things can kind of get the child ready as well um, for coming into the appointment and having the most success with it that day. I mean, it really sounds as if you are you are part artist of dentistry, but there's another part that's it's almost like you have to have a psychology hat at times is that desensitization and, and walking a child through the process is it's got to pay big dividends on whether or not you can actually do the work that you need to do. You had mentioned is that the parent role is so important and there I, I just looking at, you know, whether it's toys or whether it's books or whether there's games, I, there has to be a way that you find the child early enough, maybe two years old, three years old, you start teaching them before they even have to go to the dentist, mm -hmm. how it could be a fun experience, how it could be not something stress inducing. Are there specific books or are there games or are there toys that you'd be recommending to families to say, you know, start playing with these things, get them used to it. So they do recommend that, um, especially for children on the spectrum as a way to desensitize. You can buy, you know, the plastic mirror. A lot of the things that we use, you can buy like a plastic version from like the drugstore or Amazon just to kind of practice that at home. We can practice with a flashlight. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics, Pediatric Dentistry specifically, does recommend that all children visit the dentist before their first birthday. So that is something that can kind of help get kids used to what we're going to be doing. They can get used to us. Um, I think it's really important for parents to take their children to a practice that's a little bit smaller just because you can get the same dentist every time and they can actually start to form a relationship. Um, not saying it's a bad thing if you go to one of these larger practices, but I do think it's beneficial for the child and the parent just to get used to who they're seeing every time, um, you know, they know more about them, they have a relationship. And I think that can really kind of build trust um, and strengthen everything moving forward. So, I mean, you you mentioned starting at age one and, and a lot of children who are on the spectrum is I would imagine the parents have the anxiety of, I don't want to have to take my child, put him in a car, bring him to a place where there might be maladaptive behaviors. There might be a tantrum, there might be screaming. Um, and it might not, obviously it has nothing to do with the dentist. It has more to do with the anxiety that's being provoked by it. But what are the, I guess the major concerns you'd have 
Because with children on the spectrum, obviously, there's always concern of dietary intake being restricted, is that they might not be eating all the right things. There might be sensitivity issues that maybe they're not brushing their teeth correctly and that there could be tooth or gum damage. Mm -hmm. What makes it more important for somebody on the spectrum to be a little bit more cognizant of regularly scheduling these appointments that might not be as important for another child. Not that equally it's not something I wouldn't be scheduling out. Right. So definitely establishing that routine, getting them used to it. Um, like you mentioned, the diet. Um, sometimes um, children on that spectrum can have very specific diets. So they're only eating certain things. And a lot of times that could be only drinking juice or we're only drinking this uh, milk or what have you. Or we only eat this candy, this gummy. Or a lot of times, two parents use gummies or some kind of candy as rewards for certain things. Um, so all of those can obviously have implications or consequences on the teeth. Um, that's just with little kids in general, too, though. A lot of parents like to give milk um, and give that bottle at night. And then a lot of kids are getting cavities. Um, so just all of those things, a lot of the early appointments are great for the kids, but it's also a lot of teaching for the parent. Um, just things they can be doing at home, techniques they can utilize. And it's really important too, just to show them how they can brush because it is hard, um, especially when they're little. We can show them techniques to kind of hold the child, really get the toothbrush in there, how to do it, give them alternatives for toothpaste and things like that. A lot of the children that you're working with probably have a, a variety of people that create their treatment team. And mm -hmm. the dentist is one component of that. When they have these and we'll look at ABA or behavioral therapy as, as a component of it, because oftentimes that's a big part of the ongoing treatment for a child. How can they help support the dentistry needs? How can they be a part of helping that child make sure that this becomes part of their adaptive repertoire on a daily basis? So I think it can be good to establish a relationship um, between, you know, healthcare professionals to see what the child needs, what would work best for them. We had some patients come in the other day um, with their parents. Their parents were so nervous. They never brought them before. They were twins. Um, they were around six, um, so better late than never. Um, but they, each of the twins had their aide come with them as well. So I think it can be nice to, you know, bring someone to that appointment that you know is going to help make the appointment great. Um, the appointment was fine. The parents were so nervous um, and it really went well. And that happens a lot where parents are so nervous that, oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. And a lot of times it goes well. Sometimes it can go re the reverse, but that's okay too. Um, that's just what we have to work through. But as far as um, children at these programs, I think it can just help to have open communication between everyone um, and know what goals we're trying to work towards and how we all think it's the best way to get to that goal. Um, just because there's no blueprint for everybody because it's going to be a little bit different or, or pretty different um, depending on each child. And I think that that's an important component to look at is that every child's going to have their own individual dental needs and their way to be able to contact that in the home environment is exactly. oftentimes is what you learn in an office setting mm -hmm. is sometimes hard to replicate in the home because you're dealing with other variables or histories of behavior in different environments that you're mm -hmm. trying to rectify. And it's nice if everybody's able to speak the same language, if everybody's able to kind of give the child the same 
information as they're going through it and be consistent. Are, th are there ways that you make this a fun process or that you coach parents to say, you know, it, it shouldn't be work for the child. They're not going to do it if it's work. It's got to be fun some ways. Yeah. So there's definitely lots of different things to make brushing your teeth or taking care of your teeth at home fun. Um, they can use like the little sand timers, like kids like those, um, all the different flavors of toothpaste they now have. I think it's good to have your kid go out and pick the toothpaste they want to use and have them pick their toothbrush. So then they're excited to use it. Um, a song that they like, a lot of my patients have a specific song that they are really into at a certain period of time. So the parents will say, we'll play this song and they'll brush their teeth. And when the song's over, you know, we're done brushing or a shortened version of the song. Um, you can get toothbrushes that play the song that will play. Um, I think for kids on the spectrum, sometimes it's important to just kind of let them get their teeth brushed where they're comfortable, whether it doesn't have to be the bathroom, it can be the couch, it can be them sitting on the floor. I do have patients where they will only get their teeth brushed sitting at the kitchen table. Um, it's really just what's going to work for them and there's no set way to do it. Um, but those are some things that can make it fun. I think all of the flavors and different colors and all of that really helps a lot. Um, oh, and one last thing. Um, a lot of there's this thing that they had going on for a while called the three B's. It was brush, book, bed. You brush your teeth, you read a book, and you go to bed. Some kids really need routine, and that's a good routine um, for the nighttime brushing and kind of a way to spend time with your child. I, I love all of those ideas. And quite frankly, I probably should be putting into effect in my own home right now. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think that you've hit on this. It's you yeah. know, a lot of these techniques, we might be talking right now for children who identify as autistic, but this could be used very well across every single child out there. And I think it's for us to realize that, you know, we don't necessarily always have to treat this as a different process. We just need to figure out what's going to motivate our individual child. Exactly. A lot of those, uh, the, and, and you had mentioned the flavors, the the giving choice, the giving um, opportunity to kind of have decisions in that process. Are there also accommodations? Are there are there things that you'd be saying, you know, if your child's having such a hard time with this right now, make sure you do this, but let's accommodate here. Let's make some changes here. Are there things that you do differently sometimes? So definitely, um, let's say if a child's having a really hard time with just the feeling of the bristles or the foaminess of the toothpaste, they do make toothpaste that doesn't foam. Um, and for a while, if you're just trying to get your child, you know, acclimated to the toothbrush and more comfortable with it, you can use a washcloth to kind of build your way up. Um, one of my parents, uh, her child does not like the toothpaste that they have with fluoride in it. So what she does is she puts a little strip underneath of it of the fluoridated toothpaste, and then she sticks the toothpaste that he likes on the top. And she says he hasn't figured it out yet. We'll see how long we have that going for, but um, that's something to do. But I mean, I just tell parents really try to get that nighttime brush in because that's the most important. If you're going to get only one brush a day, that's the one that's more important. I mean, I want you to ideally get both, but we do what we can. And then I think it's really important too, if home care is not going to be 100% to really try to stay away from juices and try to encourage a lot of water. Um, juices and gummy vitamins and gummy candies, they are just the worst things you can have. They're the secret killers or the silent killers, as I call them. So if you can really avoid those, um, that can really help you out in the long run too. 
Why do, why do the worst things always have to taste so good? That's the problem. Right? Why can't they make the gummies not taste good? And the know, toothpaste like, no, all of the best things, I know. Uh, so horrible of them. But um, so, and, and you had gone over some of those accommodations and some of the ways to be able to make brushing fun, but there are also components sometimes with autism when it's a sensory seeking thing where you're going to see children seeking oral stimulation. And I've seen it where there's intensive grinding or chewing and, and ultimately potentially some lockjaw. Things like that have crept in for medical conditions. Right. What do parents need to be worried about sometimes? I mean, if they have a child who engages in a lot of oral stimulation. So there's a lot of things that you want to be careful with. Um, gum picking can be one of them too, just constant going at it. Like you said, chewing, chewing the lips, grinding the teeth. Um, they're hard, again, child dependent as we've you know hit on a lot of times. Um, but as far as grinding goes, that's a really common complaint of parents just across the board in general. And the majority of the time, it's not an issue. It sounds really loud. It's really alarming, I know. But if you look in there, they're really not doing enough damage to the teeth. But sometimes that does become a problem. And then we can be talking about mouth guards and things like that. Again, though, are they going to wear that? It's hard to say. Um, and when a child's growing, you can't really put anything in there that's permanent. Um, some parents I've seen, they have um, necklaces that their child will wear with little things that they can chew on them. Um, some of my older patients have them, like 15, 16, they've had them. Um, or just something that they carry that's safer for them to chew on versus their hands or some other object that we don't want them putting in, in their mouth. Um, things to also be careful of is kind of like head banging or things like that. Sometimes if these behaviors have just started and they're not their typical behavior, it can be a sign that they're having tooth pain. Um, if you can't see in there um, and they haven't been checked in a while and they're nonverbal, it can be something to consider as well. Um, but the necklaces are a big one that I've seen. Um, as far as brushing, if you're worried about, you know, grinding or biting when you're trying to brush, they do make these little foam sticks. They sell them on Amazon. Um, and you can kind of put those in there and it allows you to get their mouth open a little bit so you can fully brush all the way in the back, make sure you're getting everything clean, but it gives them something to kind of bite down on while you're doing that instead of the toothbrush. So those are good accommodations. And Dr. Amanda, I appreciate the fact that, I guess there's two things that I truly appreciate that you said there. One is, is that the, the head banging piece is that I've actually seen where there's been a, such a severe infection and the head banging was a was a new behavior for a child. And you should always be ruling out medical causes to any brand new behavior that's kind of out of the ordinary. And for a dentist to be able to kind of at least putting that out there, I think it's something that the clinical world needs to be listening to. So the, the behavioral technicians, the behavior analysts, everybody who's working, speech pathologists, whoever's working with the child should know is that if they see this new behavior come up, there could be a medical causality. Um, the other thing that, that I think that you indicated was we don't always need to or should change some of these oral stimulatory behaviors. If they're not really interfering with the child's day-to-day -day life, should mm -hmm. we be modifying them? Probably not. Right. But it's talking with the professional and talking with somebody like yourself and saying, are we seeing a medical challenge here that we should intervene at now? Or is this just something that's a nuance or it's it's something that may be right. different for the child, but it's not gonna cause a quality of life? Chewing on the objects, I think it's 
okay, we're probably not going to change this behavior, but let's modify it in a way that's going to be safe for the child. So if we know that we're going to be chewing on objects, let's give them something that's safe for them to chew on. So things like that, I think are super important um, to know what's best for the child. And when we're talking about this communication and working with between the behavioral health community and the medical community and the, and the medical dental community, it's always making sure that there's there's cooperation and goal planning. And are there specific things that you'd be recommending to a, a behavioral intervention team to say, you know, these things need to be in place. It could be diet. It could, I, are there a variety of goals that you're saying, make sure that these are addressed in a treatment plan so that I'm not having to do a procedure and I'm only having to do maintenance work for this child? I think it's definitely important for them to work towards being able to fully brush for the child and being able to ideally floss for the child, just getting the home care to the highest extent that they can give it and talking to the parents a lot about diet. Um, if the behavior analyst can work with them too, um, as far as helping them prepare for a visit at the dentist, like sitting in the chair, things like that, I think those are all good goals for them. So basically, yeah, home care, getting the brushing in line, helping them with diet, trying to modify or change things, um, and then helping prepare them to come to the office as well are the three components um, to make the best oral care for the child. So let's dig into that coming to the office piece, because I know in the uh, the aviation industry is that uh, I, I think Delta does an autism day where they say, come walk on our planes, meet mm -hmm. our staff. Yep. Do you have these dental fun days at the office for people to meet and kind of uh, see what? <laughs> so we don't necessarily have a specific day just because I'm kind of open to it whenever. If you want to bring them in and they want to look at the office, that's fine. If you want to call ahead and say, hey, we want to come look at the office, but we want to do it when nobody's there. Sure, we'll accommodate that. Um, so we don't do a specific day, but we're definitely open to it. Um, we'll bring them in, let them sit in the chair. Um, if they want to meet all of us, um, all of those things are great and we'll definitely allow that. Do you ever do you ever take the, the brave path of switching roles and having them look in your mouth and and doing those things or is that or is that something that uh, maybe just isn't quite on the agenda? I, I have not had them look in my mouth, but we have oftentimes had the parent look in the parent's mouth. So mom will sit in the chair or dad um, or whoever caregiver um, and we'll look in their teeth and we'll do a whole, you know, kind of routine on them first um, or sibling a lot that will help. Um, and the child will just kind of see, OK, this is going to be all right. This is what's going to happen. Um, and that has a lot of success too. Yeah, I think I think your approach might grow some future dentists out there. I'm hoping <laughs> that that might bring it. And, and, yeah, it would be wonderful. I, I I'd love to see that happen so that we can go back and see how many how many people came through Dr. Settle's program. <laughs> but uh, do you have any advice that that you'd give to parents or children on the spectrum that you know right now they're coming out of out of COVID. They're coming out of a time period where maybe they did not see dentists as frequently simply because a lot of people cut back on some of the necessary care that they would have been receiving For and sure. behaviors went up. Food intake probably changed a little bit. Like, yeah. so they're, they're not necessarily in the best situation at all times. Do you have advice for families right now? 
I tell families, my number one thing is just give yourselves grace. You're doing the best you can. Everyone is doing the best you can. Um, I have so many parents all the time come in um, and they're just beating themselves up about, you know, X, Y, Z. They're not brushing well enough. Um, and you can tell they're really putting all of their effort into it. You know, I know dental is important, obviously, is my whole life. But I know that is one of a million things I have on their plate. Um, so I just want them to, you know, give themselves grace. They're doing a great job. Um, my other things would be just get in when you can, as soon as you can, if you think about it, if you hear this podcast and you haven't been in a while, um, it's never too late. Um, no one's going to shame you if anything is wrong. And if they do shame you, then they're not the dentist for you. Um, and you need to go to a dentist that's going to be patient with you and understanding of everything. Um, and that's going to be the tips that I definitely have for that. Well, I, I guess I have a, a two-part follow-up because it, it sounds like the folks in in and around Charlotte are in are in good hands, uh, and uh, and I believe that I believe you're at Huntersville Smiles, and I'd love to be able to give that resource out there. But are there other resources that that you'd say, you know what, go check this out? Is there is there a website? Is there anything that that kind of can can guide people to help find similar practices to what you do or to give them tips? So if they're looking for um, a pediatric dentist, they can definitely find them on the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry's website. It has a whole directory um, of providers in your area. Um, and the majority of pediatric dentists are comfortable treating children on the spectrum, children in general, making them comfortable um, because that's what we're, we were trained in. Um, so that'd be a great place for them to start, um, as well as that website in general just has lots of resources um, for all children, just about fluoride use, home care, diet, all that stuff that's applicable to all children. Um, as far as um, resources for children on the spectrum, I think it's best to talk to your provider um, and see what's in your area, just because I'm not super familiar in all the different areas across the country. Um, so I wouldn't want to point anyone in the wrong direction, but I know that there's tons of resources out there. My only advice would be just to make sure that your resources are credible. Um, you can find a lot on Google and we just want to make sure everyone's finding the best things for them. And if and if folks happen to be in the Huntersville area, uh, I I'm hoping that you're accepting new patients. I don't I'm, I don't want to make a, a guess on this, but how would they get a hold of of your office? So they can call us at 704-456-9166. Um, they can visit our website at smilehuntersville.com. Um, they can stop by anytime. Um, for all of my patients in our office, I do give them my personal phone number. So if you become a patient and you have questions on the weekend um, or after hours. I'm always there to help. So that's something that's great too. If you wanted to come to us, we do take Medicaid um, and we take all PPOs and we also have discounts for um, patients without insurance. So we're happy to see everybody and take care of um, any needs that any children have. Well, Dr. Settle, I appreciate what you do. And I, I also appreciate the fact that you've individualized so much of your practice to make sure that the children are taken care of. And thank you for coming on and talking with us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments 
and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly Podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank <music> you.